First Peter chapter 5. We're just moving our way through this passage. Uh, it's been a joy to my own heart, and uh, it's just uh, something that we we do methodically through the Word of just move through the Word of God, uh, looking at each part so that we can glean what God has said for us, so that we can understand our responsibilities. First Peter chapter 5, we'll just look at two verses, verses 8 and 9. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience, experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how precious it is and how meaningful, how important it is to our life. Lord, there's, uh, there's so much to be learned. There's so much to be said. I, I pray for clarity. I pray for understanding. And then, Lord, may we apply these things to our own heart. May we go away changed in our thinking and our attitude toward you and toward our responsibility here on this earth. And the Lord also give us confidence as we go away, understanding your word and the joy of, of just knowing that it has its work, it has its effect in our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in 1941 that America joined World War II. And it was because of Pearl Harbor, the bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese Air Force. Um, up to that time, there was uh, very little talk of war. The, it was kind of downplayed. Uh, America did not want to be in, in a war, even though the war was raging on three fronts, the land, sea, and air. Um, America didn't want to be involved in that, and they were kind of forced into it. Um, Emperor or uh, Admiral uh, Yamamoto was quoted to say that uh, the Japanese had awoken a sleeping giant in America. Didn't realize what they had done when they bombed Pearl Harbor. It woken a force there. Of course, it was the uh, cooperation of the Allied forces that brought victory. But it was when at the bombing of Pearl Harbor that America began to realize the danger that was that they were in. There were 2,335 people were killed in that December 7th moment in Pearl Harbor. Woke America up. And it took something like that to, to, to bring us, to, to sober us. And I'm afraid that the American church is much like that today. We're kind of lulled into sleep. We're, the, the battle is all around us. It's raging. Um, but the American church is just kind of lulled to sleep. And they don't realize the battle is raging because it's a spiritual battle. That's what Christ mentions, His kingdom and the, the thing that we've been singing about, just His kingdom in John chapter 18. Um, many want to just put their head in the sand. They want to pretend that there's no problem, there's no war exists. 
and that everything will just kind of work out in the end and everything will turn out for the best. But Scripture teaches us that we are in a battle. We are in a war. There are two enemies diametrically opposed to one another and they cannot coexist. And that's the language of Scripture. And I, I want to walk us through this because I think it's sobering. I think it's important for us to understand this war and this battle that's going on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we begin to see the, the, the language of war. And I want to move through some of these passages just slowly so that we can understand this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, For though we walk... In the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. It's not a fleshly war. It's not against people that we see necessarily. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. That's ideologies that that take hold in our mind like a, a fortress, like castle that we have to come up against with truth. He goes on to say, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought out there to be taken captive. We we rein it in. We submit it to the truth of God's word. We analyze it and reject the falsehood. Chapter 4, the same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what's at stake. In whose case... The God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what we see here is that we are, there's a battle for truth, it's a battle for righteousness, but what's at stake is the souls of men, the souls of of people whose eyes are blinded because of Satan. That's the battle, the war that's going on. We also need to know that the battle is raging in three fronts. Um, Galatians chapter 5 tell us this. Galatians 5 uh, tell us the first front is our own flesh, verse 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh for the The flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For they are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the thing that you that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you will are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. And he goes on to list them. But what you see there is is you have the flesh. That's our own fleshly body, our own uh, sinfulness, sinful nature is in opposition to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And you see, two things that that cannot coexist. You cannot walk in the flesh and walk in the Spirit at the same time. And and so we're, we're battling the flesh. Battling the flesh. Our own propensity, if you might say, to, to the dark side. And so we have to fight, even ourself. That's the first, that's the first front of the battle. It's just our own temptations, our own flesh. The second one is in 1 John chapter 2. This is a passage that you would know well. We've 
spoken here many times, do not love the world nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the love of the flesh, the, love, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The second battlefront that you, we were, are fighting is the world. Um, and again, you see diametrically opposed two things that cannot coexist. Your love for the world and your love for God. It, it cannot coexist. Cannot be together. The, lo- the world would be the, the world's culture, its popular opinions, the collective ideas and ideologies and attitudes, the world views, even the world's education and, and kind of group think. It's dangerous. It's, it's of the world. We have to assess it through the lens of Scripture and we battle for truth. Now, I want you to notice, too, that the world and the flesh are together in that verse and they, they, they just go hand in hand. We need to keep that in mind. So, so we, we battle on the fleshly side. We battle on the world side for truth. There's one more... Uh, battle that we rage and that's against satan himself in ephesians chapter 2 we see this clearly stated ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and uh, verses 1 and 2 we see paul saying and we you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. And he is in charge of the, of the course of this world. He is influencing it. He's called the, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. You see that flesh and the world coming together, led by Satan, in opposition to God. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. You see, the two coming together, the world and the flesh, and Satan is leading those in opposition toward God. And we used to be a part of that. Satan, the self-proclaimed enemy of God, he's the father of lies. He has demons, his minions that, that create doctrines of demons. He is also the accuser of the brethren, and he is influencing the course of this world. It doesn't look so good. But there's even worse news. We see in John chapter 17, before Christ was put on the cross, before Christ ascended into heaven, he prayed this prayer to his heavenly Father, to God. In John chapter 17, verse 13, he says this, But now I come to, I come to you. God, Christ is saying, I'm coming up to God the Father, up to heaven. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in them so that we would know and understand what is going on. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As I sent, as you sent me out into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sake, 
I sanctify myself that they themselves may be sanctified in truth. Now, the bad news is, is that we are in the enemy's territory. We're in the enemy's camp. And that's terrible news. But Christ prayed for us. He, he prayed, God, protect him. Keep them from the evil one. So we have that protection. But he also said, I have sanctified them. I've set them apart from the world in truth. In truth. And that's wonderful news. That, that's glorious news for us. We're protected. We stay in that truth and, and we can then fight and stand. We stand for righteousness in the flesh. We uphold the truth in the world and we proclaim the good news in the face of, in the face of Satan in enemy territory. Let me show you some other good news in First Peter or Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one verse three seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us out of His, uh, called us by His own glory and excellences. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them we may be partakers of His divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We can stand and we can be righteous people. Now that's, that's good news because within ourselves we cannot do it, but, but God the Father has issued to every one of His soldiers everything that is needed to escape the corruption that is in the world and to be able to stand and defend the truth. Now, there were people, before World War II started, there were people who visited Hitler. Neville Chamberlain was one of them. And he comes away saying, oh, he's not an evil man. He, he's a man of peace. And they pretend that there was no war, no enemy. There's no cause for concern. There's no real danger. And folks, I'm afraid that that's where the American church is. We, we just, we don't see the danger that's out there. And what that causes then is to, it causes idle soldiers. Soldiers who are, are soldiers who have, have the, the warfare, the, the capability of warfare, but, but they're distracted. And they tend to get into trouble. When you put soldiers in, in, a, in a town and, and give them nothing to do, no, no focus of bad or anything like that, they tend to get themselves into trouble, distracted with uh, domestic af- affairs, uh, self-focus. They become weak and, and vulnerable. I believe that's where the American church is, self-focused, seeking, seeking their own pleasure, their own comfort. And they're not willing to fight. They're just sue for peace. We'll just get along with the world. They're not any different than we are anyway. And, and we, can, uh, we can just compromise in so many different areas. We just want to get along with them. And that is the mindset, folks, of a lukewarm Christian that we see in Revelation. A lukewarm Christian. 
And what happens then, it's easy to be influenced and it's easy to be manipulated by the enemy when we are soldiers who are idle. When we don't realize, we don't understand that there's battles going on, there's war raging, and and we're just kind of sitting on the sidelines. We're vulnerable, vulnerable to false false promises of health and wealth gospel. We're vulnerable to the the wrong emphasis, putting uh, a a different twist on love that we just we're just there to meet the physical needs of people, but the the greater need is the, the gospel. And we, we get it wrong. And we're soldiers that are idle. But soldiers of the cross are not idle. And Peter calls us to be alert in this passage. And we've been looking at, uh, as far as the church is concerned, for a church to grow spiritually, there must be biblical characteristics that are cultivated within the heart of the people of the church. And that's the, that's the point. That's what we've been looking at in the past three or four Sundays for a church to grow spiritually, there must be biblical characteristics that are cultivated within the heart of the people. And one of these things that well, we'll look at some more today. We, we've seen in the past, we've seen, first of all, the church has to be submissive, submissive to the elders, the, submissive to the teaching of the word of God as they teach. Number two is the church is to be humble. And that's the key. Humility is, is the proper attitude, a lowly mindset. It's, it's being rightly informed about who God is and who we are. That's humility. And third condition of the church for spiritual growth is just trusting God. We throw ourselves upon God. We, we, we're putting all of our anxieties upon Him. It's a natural thing when you begin to realize who God is, His strengths, His holiness, and His sovereignty to just throw ourselves on to him. Now, the question then is raised, and Peter answers in this passage, how do we survive an enemy camp? How do we do this? How do we overcome the enemy when we are surrounded? When it doesn't look like we can have victory. We're in the minority. Peter gives us three commands that are important for us to just just notice and know what is what we're responsible to do and it and it corresponds with spiritual growth within the church spiritual growth within the heart of people of God's people so number 4 the fourth condition for spiritual growth in the congregation is a sober mind a sober mind go to our first peter passage first peter chapter 5 verse Eight, he says, be of sober spirit, be of sober spirit. That's the that's the command. That's what we are to do. Now, when I first um, read this, I, I had the wrong idea of, of sober. Um, it's not the best translation here. And most of the modern translations translate it that way. But it's it's a little bit more in depth, and we need to understand it. And it's and the way it's used here is, is figuratively, um, and uh, it's to it really could be translated self control. Be self controlled. You say now that's a big leap from being sober to be self controlled. But listen to, to the way it's used here. It, it's used figuratively. Figuratively, it's not to be intoxicated or under 
someone else or something else's influence. That's the idea. So that's why we would translate it sober. Don't be intoxicated or influenced under someone else's influence. And the idea then, you have to restrain yourself. You have to discipline yourself. And that's where the the word self-control, and that's a a more accurate translation here. He says the the better translation or the, the meaning would be to restrain or discipline my mind and our body to avoid any avoid any kind of intoxicating allure of the world don't be don't be uh, drunk with the intoxication of the lure of the world or sin don't be under its influence and and it takes self control if we don't have that self control then we're going to become victims of our enemy so we have to and and the idea is further understood by by um, we order then our priorities according to what's important in God's value system, right? And that's that's it. It's a little complicated, but think about that. We have to discipline ourselves, somewhat detach ourselves from what we already know, and relearn Scripture so that we can line ourselves up with with God's value system. Okay, that's the idea of this word. Pretty complex word. But I want you to see it. See how it's used throughout Scripture. Because this is an important concept for you to get. For us to grow, you need to understand this. Back up one page, 1 Peter chapter 2. You're going to see a list of verses on the screen there. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. Behold, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Abstain. That's that restraint. Uh, self-discipline idea. That's the same same word that is used. Let's go to the Gospels in Luke chapter 21. We see a very clear understanding of this. Luke chapter 21 and verse 34 says this, Be on guard. Now Christ is teaching about the re- His return someday. It's going to happen. He says, be on guard. That's the idea. Be on guard. Discipline yourself for these things so that your heart will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness uh, and the worries of life and that you may not come on the... and that they may not come on the... uh, come on you suddenly like a trap. So he's saying, guard yourself. Be alert. Be aware. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled so that you're not weighed down and you're not in a drunken stupor of the worries of this life. That's that's the mindset of the Christian. Self-discipline. Self-controlled. And lining ourselves under God's value system. We see the same kind of uh, idea here in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's what you do. Your whole body, mind, your, your, your body, all of it, is to be surrendered over to the Lord 
Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is what the will of the God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what he's talking about there is, is a, a reconstruction of your life, rethinking every element of your life, taking every thought captive to this submission of God's value system. And we line up with God's will so that we can discern God's will, which what is good and acceptable and perfect even. It's a reconstruction of our own life, our own understanding of our own life, lining up with God's value system. And that's important for us to understand. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, another verse says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, of good repute, if there is anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Stop dwelling on these things, these these things that are, are bad and tears you down, but dwell on these things that are good and that build you up. There's a realigning of your, your mind and your processes, your thinking. In Titus chapter 2, verse 12, we see, a, we see kind of the big picture, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's just a matter of becoming godly. And it starts in our mind, in our thinking. We're renewing that mind breaking off the old patterns, putting on new patterns, and it's a reconstruction of our life and who we are. And that's a soberness. That's a self-discipline, a self-controlled Christian. Now, there's others there, but we'll, we'll stop with those. I think you get the idea. To be sober-minded is to break with the, the past, those habits, and line ourselves up with God's value system. Now, let's think about this a little bit. Because today's Christian, all they want to do is just add church going to their life. Oh man, that looks like a great group of people. I just want to come and be with them. And so they just come and they just add church attendance to their life. There's no reconstruction. There's no renewal of mind. There's no rethinking through life and putting themselves under God's value system. They just keep their own thinking. And unfortunately, that's the American Christian. We go to church on Sunday and that's what we do. And we just have added Christ uh, in that way, just added uh, an extra day of the week that we, we do something, we go to church. And that that's... That's it. And that is not prepared for battle. That is not being alert. The the hardest part, I think, for us is is just breaking from the world. Breaking from the intoxication uh, that that kind of traps us. The the world's trappings. And and we look at the world and think, how cool. And how, you, you know, to... We're enamored with the riches and we're enamored with the politics and and everything else. And we don't realize how unbiblical our thinking is. 
We don't realize how much we need to renew our mind. We don't realize that. And we are still thinking like the world. And we, we kind of put, well, that's the cult. You know, they, 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 they're wrong. Or, or worldly philosophies, uh, uh, socialism and, and uh, hedonism, they're, they're wrong. Or, or we look at extremists, the Black Lives Matter movement, well, they're wrong. And we just kind of say, well, they're wrong and we're right. We don't really think through. Am I thinking biblically? That's what Peter is saying here. Think biblically. Be alert. Be self-controlled with these things. But we look at those things and we forget how tied to our own culture we are. How tied to superstitions and traditions and then attitudes and, and certain mindsets that are just not biblical. And we think like the world and the world's delusions and the world's misconceptions and falsehood were really no different from the world, when we, when we have the same cares and, and worries and, and we don't realize how unbiblical our thinking is. We accept the world's explanations many times of things as opposed to going to Scripture. And we as Christians, we are called to, to saturate ourselves with the Word of God. Be under its influence. Be intoxicated with its uh, with what the Word of God says and restrain our life to line up with God's truth. That's the principle here. It's this self-control is essential for the growth of the church. Self-control so that we can grow spiritually. Number five. Let's go to the next one quickly. You'll begin to see these things pulled together. The fifth condition for spiritual growth in the congregation is vigilance. We're to be vigilant. Okay, so we're to be uh, self-controlled, sober. And he also says in verse uh, verse eight, be sober spirit, but be on the alert. He says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, seeking someone to devour. He says, be alert, be vigilant. Don't don't fall asleep. Keep your eyes open. Uh, soldiers that would be placed upon the, the castle walls during the night, they have to keep their eyes open. They have to keep their ears open. They have to be vigilant. They have to be watching everything because the enemy could be sneaking up on them under cover of darkness and, and we're to be watchful. We're to be careful. We're to be vigilant. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, Satan, just simply because we are God's people, we automatically inherit an enemy. Satan hates us. We're proclaiming the excellences of him who called us, Peter says. And because of that, we are now Satan's enemy. And his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy by keeping people in darkness. He does not like the light. And if we're standing in righteousness, if we're proclaiming truth, proclaiming the gospel, he wants to diminish anything, any of that light that might shine through. And so we're going to be his enemies. So we need to be aware of a couple of things. Number one, of, of frontal assaults, direct assaults. And we see this in Genesis chapter uh, 3. 
And this was uh, Satan disguised in, 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 the, in the form of a serpent, serpent and he comes and, and speaks to Eve. And he twists the word. He twists the truth. And he, he deceives her. And he wants to do the same thing in Christ in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 1. He wants to deceive Christ and, and he comes and he tempts Christ and it's a frontal assault. And how does Christ handle him? He speaks back to him the word of God, the truth. And that's the way Christ handles him. But sometimes Satan is very, very subtle and comes, comes through the, the back door. I, I'll remind us of, of this one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. <clears throat> it's a verse that we need to... We definitely need to be aware of. He says, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Wow, that's sobering. That that should perk our ears up. And we have to remember, how did Satan deal with, with Peter himself, the writer of this letter? Remember what uh, Christ warned Peter, said, Peter, he said, Satan desires to have you. He wants you. He wants to sift you like sand. Instead of a, a frontal assault, Satan disguises and comes around into the back door and, and then Peter falls. And he denies Christ three times and, and he realizes what he did and he goes out and he, he uh, wept bitterly. Peter was not as strong as he thought. And, and Peter then says, be sober, be alert. Be watchful because the enemy is out there and he will tempt you. He will tempt you to, to, by distorting the truth. He'll tempt you by temptations. Now let's just think about this a little bit. We have an enemy. Um, and our tendency is to just to blame everything on Satan. Well, Satan made me do it, right? Years ago it used to be a little, a little statement. But sometimes we blame Satan on just our own flesh, just the desires of the flesh. Satan is, is not, men, causing you to look at porn. That's your own flesh. He doesn't even have to help you with that. Your flesh can take care of that. But Satan, he comes in and he will distort and he will twist the truth and he will make things look good that are not good or, or he'll twist it in some, some way that... It will be false. So we'll, we'll read the news and we'll get the wrong impression. And, and Satan, sometimes we have a hocus-pocus kind of idea of Satan. A Hollywood idea. Uh, that Satan is, is coming to harm us as far as some physical way and, and we're kind of scared of him. But folks, the victory is in Christ. Satan is under God's control. And they say, well, how do we become prey of Satan? First of all, we have to just be ignorant of God's word. That is the tool that God has given us, is, is his word to, to deal with Satan. And if we're ignorant of that word, we don't know how to use that weapon, we're going to fail in, in battle. Become weak-willed. You've seen weak-willed people that just have no real convictions. Just kind of mealy mouth. Just they, they don't know really what they believe. Another thing we, we do is, is just become or, or have wrong thinking. Unbiblical attitudes of I don't care. What difference does it make? It doesn't really matter as long as I get to heaven, right? That's foolish thinking. 
That's wrong thinking. That's, those are ideas from Satan himself. Sometimes we, we just follow other people. We don't really think. We don't really use discernment. And that's not being alert. That's just, that's just falling asleep. That's just following the crowd. Sometimes it's just falling into this trap of mysticism and imagination, vain imaginations and mystical dreams and who knows what the world conjures up. But it's very easy then for us to just fall asleep as opposed to being vigilant. And Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. And number six, it says the sixth condition of spiritual growth is for the congregation to be fortitude, have fortitude. Now go back to our passage here. In verse 9, he says, okay, so he says, resist the devil. Or he, he says that be aware of the devil. In verse 9, he says, but resist him. He's going to come and attack you. He will do that at some point. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, we are called to resist, to, to stand against him. We're not called to, again, this Hollywood version of things, of casting him out, of some kind of exorcism, or, or even, even placing a hedge around people and that kind of thing. No. Satan sometimes allows, or God sometimes allows Satan to have at us, to, to, to show us our weaknesses. And he's used by Satan. He says, well, how do you stand? How do you stand? He says, resist him. Just stand up against him. Stand up against him. Firm in your faith, he says. Just stand solid in what you believe. In what you believe. That's Christ. That's the cross. That's the redemption of man. That's the grace of God. That's the word of God. We stand firm in those things that we know. This is truth. And we stand... In those things. Let me show you uh, a few verses that that correspond with this. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 verse 23. Wonderful verse. But only they kept hearing. He who once uh, persecuted us. Is now preaching the faith. Which was once, uh, once tried to destroy, which he once tried to destroy. He is now preaching the faith. Now, that's the kind of faith that Peter is talking about here. We stand firm in our faith. It's that faith that we preach. Paul, Paul was a perfect example of that. At one point, he was persecuting the church. All of a sudden, he he changed. The Lord got a hold of his life, and he now preaches that faith. And we stand in that faith. We stand in the gospel, the victory of Christ on the cross, the accomplishment that that God had there. Ephesians chapter 6, another uh, verse that we need to be aware of. A good verse about standing. We'll wrap this up in just a second. In Ephesians chapter 6, and this is a passage that you know well, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of His might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Again, same wording here. This is Paul. This is not Peter. This is, this is Paul. And he's using the same wording. We, we just stand. 
We stand. We stand in truth. We stand firm in the faith. We stand firm in what we believe. The faith once delivered to the saints, the, the word of God. Your, for your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the devil in, that, in the day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm in what? Stand firm, therefore, having, your, your, having girded yourself, your loins, with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. There you go. Those two things again. Truth and righteousness. We stand in those things. What we know. I like what one commentary said. Victory over Satan lies in faith. Because faith unites us to Christ, the victor. Now, I love that. Think about that. Our faith is what unites us to Christ. And He is the one who conquered Satan on the cross. He is the victor. By faith, the devil is driven to flee like a lion by fire. That's amazing to me. You can fight a lion with, with fire. He's scared of that. He goes on to say, but counterfeit gospels will not procure a victory. That's not going to attain a victory for us. It has to be the real gospel. It has to be truth. We have to speak the truth. That's exactly what Christ did, isn't he? When Christ was tempted by Satan, he would combat the Satan's lies and twisting with the Word of God. We are not blown away. In Ephesians chapter 5, I love this passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. As a result, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves of, of and carried about by every crafty, by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by the craftiness of the schemes of Satan, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of, uh, of the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is being fitted together. We stand, and we stand individually with conviction, but we stand together, and we can stand against Satan. We look across the battlefield and we see men and women that have the same conviction. We see men and women who are fighting, who are willing to to be persecuted, and they stand. They stand. The same enemy, they're standing for the same righteousness. They're fellow soldiers and there's a, a sense of camaraderie there, a sense of solidarity there. And we look, even in the past, we see these godly men and women who stood and they were persecuted. They stood in the same faith, same belief. We look across the field and we see those brothers and we can stand. We get encouragement. That's exactly what... Paul is talking, or Peter is talking about here, knowing that our brothers are standing with us. They have stood with us in the past. And we stand. We stand with convictions. What do we do? What do we do? We have to have biblical answers. 
It has to be truth. Not feelings of good devotional from Scripture, but truth from Scripture. That's the answer. We have to be involved in each other's lives so that we sharpen one another. Iron sharpening iron. You say, well, I'm just not interested in theology. You need to get interested in theology. That's where life is lived. We have to read. We have to read books. We have to read Scripture. And and the thing is, is you have to have discernment. You can't just read everything off the shelf because because what we have is a quasi-Christianity today and, and people are just trying to sell books. And just because it says it's Christian doesn't mean it's biblical. doesn't mean it's exegetical. So we have to have discernment. We have to know the source. Where's this coming from? Can I, can I trust this individual? Is he going to execute Scripture uh, correctly? And so we stand. We stand. A healthy church is one who is sober, one who is alert, and one who is resisting Satan. An unhealthy church is one who is just sleepy. Sleepy. So, we fight the battle in the flesh. We resist any kind of temptation that Satan might throw at us or that our flesh might uh, desire. So, we stand in righteousness. We stand against the world in, in truth and conviction. And then we stand in the face of our enemy and proclaim the gospel. Even though he may accuse you, even though he may throw doubts into your mind and tempt you, We proclaim the truth, proclaim the truth to grow spiritually. Daniel's Bible Church has to prepare, have to prepare for this battle. We have to be aware that there's a spiritual battle. We have to prepare for that. We have to be alert. We have to resist Satan. And we need to practice. You have to practice these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that we would be strong, stand strong in the faith with convictions, knowing why we believe what we believe, knowing that we stand on truth. And we look at at others in the past that have stood and and others now that are being persecuted that, that stood and are standing. And Lord, we get encouragement from that. And Lord, I, I pray that we would be good soldiers for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.